Hi everyone. In honour of International Women's Day this year, um, I had the honour of interviewing Lady Justice Effie O'War in front of a live audience about her career, her personal life, navigating a long legal career and how she made it. Um, she was a wonderful conversationalist. We had a great time. She gave us lots of stories. And I'm proud to share this as this month's At Jerry Talks podcast. Enjoy. Justice O'War, let's start. Thank you so much for being here, first of all. Thank you for making the time. We are so honoured. Um, so your career has seen a lot of monumental and groundbreaking firsts, from the first female state council of Kenya to the first female magistrate and later to the first senior magistrate, high court judge, court of, the, uh, of, uh, court of appeal. What is it like living through all of these firsts? Tell us. First of all, and most important, I'm frightened of you, all, all you girls, <laughs> because I hear that amongst you, are very high professionals, lawyers, everybody. So I asked Njeri, I said, Njeri, these ladies you want me to talk to, what kind of ladies are they? I said, am I talking to women like me who spend most of our time in church and then we <laughs> go for Kesha? She said, no, 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 no. <laughs> these are all very professional women who spend most of their time in boardrooms and in courts and everything else. So I got a bit frightened. So now I see you are human beings. I can relax a little bit and I, I talk to you. As she said, we are going to have a conversation. I am not lecturing anybody because I know more than you. You know more than I do. So let's have this conversation and enjoy ourselves. Exactly. Especially after we have had a wine. <laughs> Jerry. When you say I've had fasts, let's make it quite clear. I was in the right place at the right time. Okay. We weren't very many when I came on the scene. I am 78 years old. So, Amen. So, no, I always haven't been like this. There were times I was half this. So don't <laughs> clap for me yet. Anyway. I was at the right place at the right time. And as she said, it could have been somebody else who was there at that time, but it, they, they, we weren't very many. So when I came on the scene, immediately after that, women began coming up. And you would be surprised what has happened in the short time, that from that time, I call it short, because it all has happened in my lifetime. That's why all this, lawyers and everybody else, you are around here and we are talking about what you do. Okay, it was not easy. I had, I can't remember her name, but I had her talking about her experience when she goes to the courtroom and she's going to do litigation. Somehow, society makes you feel that if you do things the way men do things, then you are doing things the right way. And that's where we go wrong. And that's where I went wrong. I was amongst these men, and um, most of the time, I would be wanting to do what they are doing. It couldn't work. My life was different. I had family. I had a household. I had everything. I had to leave work, just like you, go home, cook for a husband. If I didn't cook, I would be in trouble. Worry about breastfeeding. What the men didn't have to do? 
So just as she said, you cannot do it the way they do it. We do it the only way we can do it and in our own space. Amen. That's a, that's a very good answer, Auntie. But yes. what I wanted to know, amongst the, the few women that there were at the time when mm. you were coming up, yeah. why was it you and not them? Why were you the first and not them? What, what made you different at that time? Because when we went to train as lawyers, we went for A-levels. You either had to go to Alliance High School or you went to Limuru. I think Limuru, Limuru girls. girls. Yes. Mm -hmm. Limuru was for the white girls and the Indians, a few Indians, but the African women, we went to Alliance for A-levels. I had come from a very small bush place called Butere, which was the other only secondary school for girls. So Mrs. Bruce, Miss Bruce, who was the headmistress, came to Butere and picked seven of us from Butere and brought us to Alliance for A-levels. Her own girls, she picked six, okay? So we were 13 in our class. Among those 13, I knew from the beginning that I was going to do law. There was my dear friend, Mrs. Nelly O'Quiri, who also eventually ended up by doing law with me in Dar Slam. But when we were in Dar Slam, she got married and she went off with her husband. So that left me. And this, that's why I became the first in most of these places. So, so you said that you knew that you wanted to do law. Well, how did you know that and why? Why? I had a very interesting father. My mother was a professional also, but I tended to like my father because I'm a little bit rough. So, <laughs> <laughs> so I tended to like my father, and my father, who, who had not been able to do law, because it meant he would have had to go to South Africa, then from South Africa go to England, my father said, you just have to do law, number one. Number two, I used to read a lot. And most of the times I was reading crime. Those are the, the kind of things that I, that I like to read. So I ended up by knowing that I had to be a lawyer, and that's what I wanted to be. And again, I didn't have much brain for anything else, really. I knew I couldn't make, I couldn't become a doctor, I couldn't become anything else. I wasn't good in sciences, and I, I, I was kind to myself. I said maybe with law I could manage. Yeah, I actually, I also agree. I don't think I could have done anything else but law. So when you, when you then decided you're on a legal career, why children and why women? Why was that the passion that you, that you found? Because children and women were what was dearest to me. I was a woman, number one. Yeah. So any problem that a woman, the hard times that women were going through, is what I was going through as a woman. I began having children like all these uh, women. And secondly, men had enough to speak for themselves. Yeah. The women didn't have a voice. Yeah. When I finished law school and I became a lawyer and I went to, to Attorney General's Chambers, these women did not know that I wasn't an advocate. You advocates who are here, they didn't know, they didn't make a difference. Mm. As far as I was concerned, I was their lawyer and I had to listen to them. So I began seeing, experiencing and seeing all these things just by yeah. the fact that I was a woman, and I couldn't get away from it. Mm. So from the word go, I tended to lean towards women. Even when I was doing crime, I was always leaning towards women. When I was doing civil, I leaned more on women, because I understood them. They were women like me. They had children like me. 
Yeah. So, and, and when you started off in your legal profession, did you ever think that you would reach those heights? Did you think the doors would be open for you? Or no. how did you envision it? To no, be? no. I never imagined that I would reach where I did. All I did, and nobody should cheat you, that when you start a, your professional career, that any of you knows exactly which direction you are going to go to. There are very, very few of us. When people say that I knew perfectly what I was going to do, I was going to do my PhD, I was going to do this. No, passion is there. But sometimes we, we, we just end up where we seem to end up, and then you do the best that you can. And what, and what was the first door that was opened that you realized here, I can then go to the next step? What was that first door? Okay, the first door that I knocked on is when I, was not, when I became a magistrate, you know, when I was in the Attorney General's office, then I went, I was sent to Mombasa as a Registrar General Assistant, and my main work was to register companies, death, what have you, bankruptcies, and on top of that, marry people off. So the first <laughs> two months I was in Mombasa, the ships, the, 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 the ships were coming in. And on the when a ship came in, when a ship sailed in, I would marry about 40 <laughs> of these people. And I kept on wondering, what is going on? For me to find out that there was something wrong with our, our marriage laws. These girls literally went to the ships, collected the sailors, came back. And, and then they married. said, all of them would go and get a special certificate, then come and marry them. So after I had seen... Fatima, five, six times marrying, and I remember, I said, what's <laughs> happening to you? You were married the other day. He said, oh, Alienda. <laughs> so I began taking interest in this. What is going on? There must be something wrong with our laws. These girls can't think that every time they have an association with a man, a man they, are they are married to them. Okay. That was number one. Mm -hmm. Then I left and I came to be a magistrate. When I was a magistrate, again, the same thing happened. Of course, I was a woman. So who... Who gets anything to do with women? It was me. The police had a way of rounding up all the prostitutes on the street. On Monday morning, they would bring these women, these girls, into court without clothes, with their lipstick on, with all the perfumes, and they would all fill that, that room. And I kept on saying, what's going on? And then they all knew what to tell me. I would say, what is the mitigation? Why are you on the street? Not, why are you on the street? Why are you at? Why are you arrested again? She said, Mama, I have got a child at home, and I have to feed the child. That's why I come on the road. So I would, 20 shillings, 20 shillings, 20 shillings, then they would go. Then after about four months, I said, no, this is not working. Mm -hmm. I said, there must be something wrong in the way we are doing this. So I went to the chief justice, and I said, chief justice, why are the police... When you know, rounding up these women on Saturdays and then bring them into court on Monday without clothes, without any dignity, isn't there any way we could do this thing differently? That is when we said, okay, move this to the county, to the city council court, number one. Number two, let's look into this situation. So women began looking into this situation. What is happening to these girls? Why must they all be rounded up? Is there anything that we could do to help? And that's how we stop this means of just putting women together and bringing them to court, most of the time to embarrass them.
if nothing else. And most of them, you know what would happen in stations, in police stations after they've been arrested. So in a way, I began saying, you know, there's just too much of this. Then, what happened then also? The issue of now family law, marriages. When I eventually moved on, and uh, I was now doing divorce matters, most of the women didn't work. You were at home, and you were a housewife. You lived in Nairobi in a government house. Your husband was a civil servant, who was the government servant. You were nothing, not nothing. You stayed at home, you did this uncosted work, of waking up every morning, making sure the kids go to school, washing his clothes, doing everything else. Then came when he has now left you or is now gone to somebody else, the first thing that would happen, a woman will be thrown out of the government house with the children. You're not this government servant. Yeah. So I did so many of those cases and I began saying there is something wrong here. You would come in the morning and women are sitting on the floor outside your own court because they were thrown out or Mr. Husband has run off or he has been transferred and just taken off and left this family here. So, okay, people would say, oh, the church is going to give her money to go back to where they came from. You're leaving Nairobi to go back to his father's home. You're not going to go to your father's home with five children. School fees, the children are not in school. I said something has to happen. We are now dealing with a law where a woman has no right. Even in a house where he has just lived with this man, he can just walk off. And by the time we, this woman is in court, for two, three years, you, you have known what happens in the courts. Yeah. So these are some of the things that began really paining me, and I, I, couldn't, I couldn't understand. I said, no, something has to be done. And a few women had now come. They were now women advocates, and now they were judges, women judges. And we began getting together. What can we do about these things? So these are some of the, the things yeah. that really did pain me as a person. And the more I saw this, the more I, I got involved into, into the women's law. I mean, you're, you're demonstrating that women need each other and it's only a woman who can help understand the plight of another woman and help mm. her in, in that way. Um, and, and, you know, we owe a, de a debt of gratitude to you for that. Um, what um, hurdles did you encounter when you were seeing all of these things? So, for example, the women being kicked out of their homes or, you know, not having matrimonial property or, you know, um, the, the marriages. What hurdles did you encounter in trying to make changes, uh, positive changes? Those were the days when men were men. And they're not these anymore. Are things that, <laughs> these are things which did not bother a man. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? These are things, these are women's, these women's, women's stuff. things, yeah. Mm -hmm. Children are women's stuff. You know, they, so it was not easy. You know, some of the things you girls are seeing now which are happening, they, were, they didn't happen in those days. When, for instance, I even got, when I was appointed a judge, I'll tell you how difficult these things were. When I was appointed a judge, and, um, you know, when I was, first of all, being interviewed, I was asked, that was the first question, you now want this job as a magistrate. First of all, you are pregnant. Yeah, it's true. I was pregnant with my second child. <laughs> I'm sure some of you know Claire. I was pregnant yeah. with Claire and she was kicking as they're asking me these questions. I said, 
if we want to send you to Garissa, are you going to go? Will your husband let you go to Garissa? So I said, um, John Hamina, God bless him. He told me, everything they ask you, you say yes. <laughs> so I said, I remembered, I said, John Hamina told me this. So I said, what's wrong? I'll go to Garissa. There are other women in Garissa with children. So what is difficult about that? Will your husband let you go to Garissa? So I said, um, he will let me go to Garissa, and he'll be able to come and see us. <laughs> or we shall still come here. You know, there are buses coming from Garissa. We will come here and see him. I was given the job, and I sat as a magistrate. And then other women came. Jessica Luoch, when she was coming for interview, small, small and very slim and nice. I said, do you listen to me and listen very carefully? <laughs> you're going to go into that interviewing room and you're going to be asked this and this and this. Say yes to everything. <laughs> she did. And she got the job. So when another one was coming, she told those ones, when you go and you... So we will pass that interview down. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And many of them began coming. But let me be appointed a judge. It was a lot of fanfare and, you know, God parties. Women were so happy, you know, we have made it. You know what I mean? Yeah. In the courts, at least, we have made it now. And I was happy also. But I was very, I didn't know exactly what I was going into because I was going to a bench that was mainly white, all men, a few Indians. There was no woman there. And I was now moving from the side of the law courts, which was open magistrate's court, and now going to this preserved section of the court. Yeah. First week, second week, if I wanted to go and powder my nose, I would have to walk to the Hilton to use the loo, powder my nose, you know what I mean, and then go back. Whether I was pregnant, even getting pregnant was difficult. How am I going to carry a big pregnancy on the corridors? Mm -hmm. This was not acceptable according to everybody else. Auntie, can you so, just explain why would you have to go to the Hilton? Because I didn't have a toilet. Oh, there was no women's toilet? There was no women's toilet. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. There was only this toilet where they stood. All of them <laughs> stood. And then there was the Chief Justice toilet, which he, he you know, Chief Justice, his whatever could not go together with the other judges, <laughs> so he had his own. <laughs> So we are sitting, in, we had a meeting, a, 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 a judge's meeting, which we had every month. And the first problem was, the judges said that we're not going to let her come to our room. So it became quite a heated, a heated uh, conversation. And somebody said that they had seen me opening the door to their toilet, which was true. I had opened to look. <laughs> I thought there was a separate toilet there which I could use. But then I found out that no, because of my nature, I couldn't use yeah. their space. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I told the chief justice, he asked me, what have you been doing? I said, I've been going out outside the hotel to go and use the toilets. So there was so much argument. And they said they will not let me into their room. The chief justice, poor man, just took the key to his toilet and told me, let's go. So we went, he opened his toilet, he said, here is the key, you use that. I felt a bit annoyed. 
that why should a chief justice give up a toilet for me simply because the male judges have refused. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So that was how it all began. Did you you did are you sitting on the bench and you are hearing a case with one or two of them. They assume that you don't exist. Mm. Until after they have all talked, they say, oh, before we stand, now, now it's my turn now, <laughs> you know? So these are little things that it took a bit of time. Then, for instance, we even had a tea room where we met tea and everybody had a cup of tea. At the beginning, when I went in, there used to be a lady, an old lady, who, whom they all used to, they loved. She was the one who was making tea for us. When I came, of course, I was the lady I am. So I stood up, or the lady I thought I was, I stood up and I said, oh, can I give you a cup of tea? Can I give you a cup of tea? So it became the norm now. They would all come, sit and say, Judge, can I have my tea? Wow. Listen, uh-huh. Then afterwards I said, no, 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 no. Until one day, I sat and I said, oh, no, no, no. Just a squash. Can you let me have my <laughs> cup of tea? It dawned on them that I'm not there to give tea. Mm -hmm. What I was doing was just out of respect and because I wanted to do it. Little, little things like that. Did you, did you realize at the time that you were paving the way for other women or were you just fighting your own battle? Did you think this is I a significant was, I, milestone? I always had in my mind mm -hmm. that I was fighting for other women. That is something that I never lost, I lost, I lost sight of. Mm -hmm. I'm one person who believes in other women in everything that I do. I knew that these things will affect other women and so anything that I did or protested against I knew that I was doing it for other women. For other women, and thank and you. And the more, the, mm -hmm. the more we, we, we began coming, more judges came in, the more women came in, the more advocates came in. We now began saying, now, what do we do? We have to be able to meet in other, whatever, in our own space and find out what we can do. Yeah, mm. and, and uh, we thank you for that. The, uh, how did that, those behind-the-scenes circumstances not affect your ability to carry out your work? Because you're doing your, you're, you're supposed to be a judge, you're, you are a judge, but at the behind-the-scenes, everything is going haywire. How, was, how did you manage the bo both one and the also things, the family? Yeah, one of the things I feared was failing. Yeah. I must tell you that quite frankly. Mm -hmm. I feared failing. Even if I got a very bad judgment from the Court of Appeal, which occasionally it would come through and she said, she said this. <laughs> Not the learned judge said, she has said this. Mm -hmm. She has said this. She's looking at this as a woman. Said, no. no. You, you, none of my judgments are going to be looked at in questioned. that way. No, mm -hmm. no, no. They can be questioned. Mm -hmm. I am a judge. Mm -hmm. But these tender, this gender insensitive statements and what have you yeah. are not going to be made on my judgments. Yeah. But having said this, you 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 realize and I'm sure all of you do that you are a professional and that's your number one responsibility. You can't get there unless you do your work properly. And don't give the, a man a chance to say oh this happened because she's a woman. She couldn't do it because she's a woman. Let them say you are a bad advocate or you are a bad um, administrator, but don't let anybody say that it has happened because you are a, you are a woman. Mm. So I was always conscious of the fact that all these men 
are just looking for that one single day when I'll make a mistake. Yeah. What were, what were some of the, the most challenging times? Can you tell us or give us an example of something that you, a challenge that you faced in that time that you remember and overcame? Um, I'm sure all of us have, have, have had those challenges. Okay. Give us some inspiration. I went onto the bench when I was still young. I was having babies. I looked outside there and I saw my fellow women who were either civil servants or out in, in companies or what have you. There was not, nothing called maternity leave. You are expected to save your leave and then use that annual leave to produce your baby and go back to work. Even though you may not have known that in that year you would get pregnant, so there was no planning <laughs> involved. Uh, by the time you do the nine months, you should, see, you should, do, you should know something. <laughs> 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 Yo, so, well, in other words, there was so much not leave. Yeah. We use our, our annual leave to go home, produce, and then come back and work. I found that a little bit difficult for everybody. For the typists in court, for the women there, for the doctors, for the nurses particularly. You know, it wasn't easy. So we decided with a few other women that we are going to fight this for maternity leave. And we did. We did. And, and we got it. We got it. Secondly, married women, for instance, in the judiciary, you could only serve on contract. Not that we wanted to, but permanent, permanent pensionable had a lot of benefits which you wouldn't get when you were serving on contract. So, uh, one morning, uh, myself and Justice Saloch, and I can't remember who else, we decided we were going to see the permanent secretary called Mr. Letting. And we went into Letting's office, and we said, Letting, what is going on? How come that every we finish contracts and then we go home and then we have to reapply and sometimes wait for another two months before our the contracts are, are renewed? Mm -hmm. He said, oh, is it? I said, yeah. We don't serve on permanent punishment terms like everybody else. And then not only that, most of these women who are now, younger women who are now coming into the service, their husbands were not necessarily civil servants or big company shots. They were just ordinary girls or ordinary women joining the service. They were not entitled to house allowance. Oh, uh, the same house that uh, they may have been kicked out of later. Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. We were not entitled to house allowance. Mm -hmm. So you could not walk off your husband and say, I'm going to have a house. No. So you stuck there and you had all these problems and you took them in because you didn't have house, house allowance. Mm -hmm. So we fought for that. We did. And a lot of other women came in, civil society came in, and we fought. Mandalea Wanawake came in. Eventually, women were employed in Kenya government on pensionable permanent service mm. terms. And yeah. Mm. Uh, then something else which also affected me, and which I, during that time, which, which I just didn't like. I had the privilege, and I say privilege, of being asked to look into the law affecting children. By then I was having children. My friends were having children. And I would see these kids in court every day. We didn't have children's courts. 
they were mixed up with everybody. So there was no question about that's a child. No, everything was mixed up. So we decided no, 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 no. We made a lot of noise. Children's services made noise about the law that we had at that time. The children's law that we had. To be able to find what was a child's right, you went to about 16 laws in Kenya. There wasn't one single law which you could open and find what, the child, what rights a child has. Kids were being beaten in school. And I knew that my own, my own also, plus a few of you, would also be beaten. <laughs> so that did affect me. I said, if there's anybody who has to punish a, a child, it should be the parents, parents. you know? But the idea of kids being beaten until some of them were killed didn't, didn't appeal to me at all. So eventually we went and talked about this, and very nicely, the Attorney General set up um, a task force to look into the rights of, of children, and at the same time, UN had now come up with a children's convention and said, civilized countries should <laughs> do laws, do, redo their laws in accordance to comply with the, the convention. With, with, yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So luckily enough, and as I keep saying, maybe I was in the right place at the right time, I was told to head that women children's task force. And we worked on that law for 10 years. Yes. For the first time, we went around the whole of this country and asked people, what do you want? What do you want to do with your children? First, number one thing, we don't want our kids to be caned in school. Number two, we don't want our children being taken to the same courts with, with grown-ups and what have you. Yeah. Number three, when marriages break, we want children's rights to overtake all these other nonsense that is going on in marriages. Yeah. That law took about 10 years. Eventually, eventually, we would come out with a bill that Tony General would say it is not good enough, go back again. It's still very penal, it's penalizing children. We want a right oriented mm -hmm. law. Mm -hmm. So, uh, uh, the, the CS, Rachel Mamo, with uh, a few other big people, I can't even remember, but we were all very, very. People, very, very substantive people in society. Yeah. We sat down, uh, uh, the CS brought in a draft, uh, Rachel Mama brought in a draft, and we looked at that draft, we worked on that draft for two years, and then we had the children's law. It was a big thing for us. From, from your years of service in mm. uh, the judiciary, what are the key takeaways from that? What would you say were the, the key takeaways for, for living a life of work, living a life of family, living a life of service? What are the, the things that you can say? Actually, it's a privilege. It was a privilege. Working as a judge, it opened doors for me. And that's what I just would like to tell you girls. Do not go into there and just sit and say, I'm a judge, I'm writing my judgments during the day, and then at night I'm going to go home. Or I'm an advocate, I'm going to take this brief and I'm going to court, and that's that. No. I believe that I succeeded in my mission to worry about women's rights, children's rights, and I have gone on to where I am now because I never was just a judge per se. From the word go, I had a chance to be able to serve in many, many other organizations. And sometimes I was thrust into them, but sometimes I, I actually made an effort. I actually did make an effort. 
my weekend would be either I'm going to address a church or something, or I'm going to talk to midwives, or I'm doing something else, or I'm putting my nose in some UN conference that was going on. So it opened doors for me. And this, it got me to where I am. I think that's, that's hard work. That's dedication and hard work. It was dedication and hard work. I can't cheat you. When people tell you that, oh, oh, but I can manage my day. There's nothing about managing your day. There's nothing about managing your day. Being a wife and a mother and a professional and what else? And a public <laughs> whatever is not a joke. You can't be breastfeeding at the same time teaching in class. Yeah. You have to be able to manage. You have to take that milk of yours, put it in a bottle, and leave it in the fridge for somebody to do it. You have to find a way of doing it. But I'm not going to tell you that it's easy. It isn't. You're an advocate. You're running an office. At the end of the month, people rents must be paid. Everything else must be done. <laughs> you can't say that I'm going to close this door at 6 and then go home. You can't. It is rough, but it's doable. It doesn't last forever. Motherhood is not a, a life imprisonment. Who said that? <laughs> it isn't. Eventually, you and grow, uh, and they go. Being a wife, and I'm saying this, you can be a very good wife, but you have to lay some rules and say, you know what, after this, after I've done this, then I have other things to do. <laughs> Just like saying, on Saturday morning, I'm going to go do that shopping or I'll order what I need to be brought in. I'm going to go, to, one child wants to go swimming, another one wants to go to where. Don't feel ashamed to tell your nanny, look, take this one to swimming <laughs> while I go to the hairdresser. You need to go. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. Even if Mr. Husband has got gold for whatever it is they go to do, you say, uh -uh, this weekend is unfortunate. <laughs> I won't be able to do that. Why can't you do that? Because my friends, my friends, and meaning you people, because somebody who works for Twiga or something, he has there's something interesting for you to do here, though there's a consultancy, go and talk to your friends. Yeah, go and talk to your friends. Network with other people. Find out what is happening, you know? Yeah. So you have to give yourself some time. You cannot be a super mother, and I've always said this. That business of super, super women, forget it. It doesn't exist. It is hard work, but it pays eventually. Mm. I was just talking to some girls there, and I told them, they told me, oh, what about retirement? I said, retirement is a very interesting aspect of one's life. There's no fees to pay. <laughs> There's no rent to pay at the end of the month. If you have money to to finish a little mortgage, you have finished, you are doing that. You don't have to worry about children, doctors' offices, pediatricians' offices, you don't go there. Mm -hmm. You're not going to see a teacher because, because so-and-so has done badly or so-and-so has uh, mm -hmm. uh, you know, gone to school. So life changes. But when you are still at it, girls, it is hard work and you have it. Don't miss a board meeting because... Oh, what is the excuse? My maid ran away. <laughs> Tell Mr. Husband, sorry. Our, our maid, not yours. Our maid has gone. I've got a board meeting. It's an annual general meeting. I am the secretary for this company. I have to go. So, 
There are the nappies, and there is the, the there are the bottles. Mm. And actually walk through the door and go and do what you have to do. What, what would you say to, to, to women who are doing it on their own and there's no husband to, to be there? Does the same thing apply? Same thing applies. You're not a super mommy. Thank God we live in a country where we can afford house help. Find the best you can and trust her, treat her well, and let her take on some of that. And most of you have got brothers who are living in this, country, in this town, or sisters, or even me, the grandmother. Come and knock my gate and say, look, Granny, look outside. There's somebody outside there. <laughs> and we are just too willing. Your mothers are just too willing. Don't take it upon yourself. If you are a single mom, you don't have to be a superwoman. There is help out there. Yeah. There are some, and I know now, there are so many men, young men and men, who are just willing to take, if it's a boy, if you have a boy, to take over that child for you for one or two hours while you are gone. You know, drop it at their door and say, hey, my friend, here is the baby, here is the ball, here is whatever, all these things, and I'm leaving here for two hours, I'm coming back. The, the, put the food in the fridge, I'm coming back. When you come back, you come back with, with this drink, you say, thank you very much, let me have my baby. You know, don't think you can do it by yourself. That's what I'm trying to say. Yeah. Take advantage of where we are. Thank you so much, um, Justice Olwatch. I wanted to summarize the discussion. And what, I, what my key takeaways are from this discussion is, first of all, work hard and be passionate about what you're doing. Mm -hmm. Number two, you can't do everything. You can't be everything to everyone. Mm -hmm. You can only do so much. Mm -hmm. Number three, take time for yourself. Yeah. And take the time to be, be there for yourself. Go to the hairdresser, go to the gym, take care of your health. Uh, number, four, number five, don't be afraid to ask for help from someone, a brother, a husband, a friend, a mother. Um, and make sure that you live a determined and passionate life and be wise. So thank you so much, Justice Olwatch. We cannot thank you enough for taking the time to speak to us. This has been such an excellent conversation and one that I will not forget in a long time. So thank you so much. Uh, we are very, very grateful. <laughs>